Welcome to the 2018 Vision Banquet, Vision Dessert Night, I guess we're calling it now because we're not having a huge potluck meal. Uh, but I, that sounded like a lot of fun in the lobby. I'm glad you guys got a little chance to visit with each other. Uh, and tonight really is the vision of our church. This is what we're going to be talking about. And uh, let me read a, a, just a verse from Philippians 1 that'll set kind of what our discussion is going to be like tonight. And it is uh, Philippians 1, verse 27. It says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It was a time when I took, um, I met a bunch of kids down at uh, Arrowhead Park at their basketball uh, court down there, their outdoor basketball court, and it was great. Uh, but at first it wasn't. Only three people were there, and we wanted to go full court. So three people, full full court's not going to work. And as I looked around, I tried to, you know, remain positive at some point, and eventually more people showed up, and we had a good uh, basketball game. But with three people, my feeling was very similar to what you would you look at that and say, this, is, this isn't going to be that great. I mean, how are we going to do this? I don't even think we can do a full court game. Um, and I don't, I mean, it's kind of fun if you have six to 10 people show up. And so it just, you know, at first it felt really low. And I think about our vision the same way as that. When, when we talk about our vision tonight, we're going to see something great. And what we don't want you to do is just leave tonight saying something like, I saw something great. I saw the direction of the church, and I'm excited. We really want more than that. We do want that, but we want more than that. We want to be unified together as a body, just like it says in Philippians 1, where we are striving side by side, you and I. And so the church really does want to go somewhere great. We do want to see a great vision, but we want to see it together and nobody on staff, no, none of the elders or deacons, nobody wants to do that without the congregation together, without you guys joining with us and coming alongside with us. So with that, let me pray for us, and then I'll, I'll uh, bring up the next person. Father God, as we open up tonight, as we open up our minds, as we think about uh, our church and uh, the next few years, maybe even longer than that, maybe 10 years down the road, I pray that you would uh, just give us wisdom and an ability to uh, be sensitive to your spirit, to see and hear and feel uh, your calling and your direction, your trajectory, where you're taking us, how you want us to spend our money and our time and our energy, and how you want us to talk tonight about all of those things. So I pray that you'd be with every person that speaks, uh, and may the uh, Q&A time and the prayer time be rich and encouraging to us as we seek to glorify you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're going to hear from a few people. Uh, First is Sam Husky. If you can make your way up here, Sam. He's one of our college students and actually one of our interns in the youth ministry. Uh, And Sam is going to tell us a little bit about uh, what Christ community means to her. And not every single person in this room has interacted with Sam on a spiritual level. Um, but a lot of us have. And so she's going to call to our memory uh, what Christ community did to her and for her. So we set it up. Thanks, David. Oh, thanks, David. Okay. Um, 
So thanks, y'all, for inviting me onto the stage this evening. Um, I think that my testimony is relevant tonight because it kind of highlights how God's um, hand, uh, merciful hand, just kind of scoops down and um, rescues those that are in need, as well as uses his body and people um, to kind of fulfill his provision. Um, emphasis on his body and his people, because that's definitely a huge role into my testimony. Um, so some background on me is I grew up in the mountains. I didn't grow up at going to the church. Um, neither of my parents were kind of interested in it or invested in going. Um, they divorced when I was 10. And then my father, two years later, met his now wife, Kay. And she was a believer. They started going together. She invited him. And thankfully, he's now today um, also a professing, professing Christian. Um, and my brother and I, my sister moved away a couple years before that. Um, my brother and I weren't joining them um, until I actually got caught for sneaking out of the house. Um, obviously, not about to go do anything productive. Um, and so my dad kind of enforced then that every Sunday he would like my brother and I to join them. Um, so I began to go regularly for about two years, and I was enjoying the social aspect of it all, but I didn't comprehend the gospel. I didn't really have a solid community, but I was with other youth my age, um, which was kind of refreshing at times. So then fast forward two years later, and I'm here in Wilmington, and I'm a freshman at UNCW, and I'm um, alone with myself. And that year was really lonely because I was so desperate for attention. Um, I was putting my hope in myself, um, which is obviously really exhausting, as you can assume, um, kind of putting all of this faith into a broken cistern. Um, but also during that year that um, was just very difficult, there was um, a softening, a super super um, natural softening of my heart that was kind of provoked by the people that God was putting into my life. Um, and um, some of those people I met at Overflow that I kind of had this curiosity of, I heard their music, I thought that Christian music was kind of cool when I went and or learned that and um, kind of got involved with their on-campus ministry. Um, one of those uh, people that has been a huge inter- instrument in my life today, um, as I'm sure you've all have met her, is Raven. Um, and she was someone that I could kind of depend upon to go have a good time with and party. And now that relationship has been um, transformed into um, she's probably one of my most reliable um, sisters in Christ. Um, So during that year of what felt like self-destruction, I did have these moments of being introduced to people who had Christ, and I saw this freedom that they were living in and this um, just unshakable joy that they seemed to uh, emit. And I was jealous of it and becoming tired of of um, just having this dependency on myself that wasn't very sustainable. So freshman year ended, summer of 2015, I went home, um, and a relationship that I had been in for probably about a year ended. Um, That same day, I received a Bible in the mail um, from Raven, and I started reading 
um, the first chapter of John. And during that summer, um, Jesus just met me in my sadness and in my guilt and just showed me the miracle of salvation um, through that chapter. So I moved or I came back to Wilmington um, as a born again believer and but was still very confused. <laughs> um, and so thankfully I was invited to Christ community um, by a mutual friend of, of Raven Will Reagan. Um, and that first day I, I met Carrie Lee and we went to the Sunday school, which was at that time after the service. And David taught it, and it was on controversies in the church. <laughs> so that was my first Sunday. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was great. Um, but then I kept coming, uh, <laughs> and I got hooked up with Megan Rich, and she lives in Florida now. Her and her husband Micah lived here for a while, and um, she just her personality specifically. She taught me how to read the Bible so efficiently. She's such a type a person and i'm not and but she showed me um how to read the word and we went through galatians um and that was like that was the first chapter of the book that i'd like gone deeper into of learning how um learning about the fullness of faith and the futility of works um so after meeting Raven, I, or I'm sorry, after meeting Megan and mentoring with her for a while, I then um, got the pleasure of uh, starting to get to know David and introduced into the youth ministry and started working with middle schoolers. Um, and I definitely felt very unqualified, um, but their just willingness to learn about Jesus and hear the word their childlike faith was just very inspiring and I felt like I could be in the youth too like I was a middle schooler um I was learning just as much about the Lord as they were I felt like um and so now currently I graduate in May uh, excited about that and I'm in the high school ministry um which has been incredible to kind of um go into relationships with girls on a deeper level now um and uh, so I guess the large part of this is only by the grace of God have my mentors been able to kind of show me what it's like to um, follow the Lord. And my hope is that I can continue to um, serve our king and pour into others, um, which is why I'm so passionate about the youth ministry is that it's kind of allowed me to apply all that these incredible people that I look up to have um, displayed to me um, as well as in the word. And so, uh, and the only reason that my mentors that I've met here at this church have been able to do this is because of the two core factors of Christ community in that the Bible is the church's authority and we also value community and discipleship. Um, and that value is what brought me to Christ, is the people. And what makes me want to stay in Wilmington, even though I'm graduating. Um, and so I also just wanted to thank you all because you are the community that allowed, um, that kind of just formed this church and allowed that to eventually ripple down into me. And I hope that um, my interactions with other girls can also cause another ripple effect. We'll see. So, thanks, y'all.
Um, thank you very much, Sam, for that. Um, and I hope you heard what I heard. What I heard was, uh, first of all, Sam is benefited by you, by people just like you, people that don't have um, high seminary degrees or lots of training in ministry techniques, but just people that come to church, notice someone who's new, invite them into a Sunday school, say, hey, let's go to coffee, let's go to lunch, let's figure out how to read this Bible. Here's a gift of a Bible and so many other conversations that um, Sam has been a part of. And the other thing I heard was that Sam is one of many. I mean, I could have brought, you know, 15 to 20 other college students up here who have a very similar story who would say very similar things about different people in the church. Um, so that was great. Thank you, Sam, for that. I appreciate it. Let me introduce a couple more, uh, the two the two speakers. Uh, so Mark is going to come up. He's going to talk a little bit about our financial plan and where we stand today financially. So Mark, you can make your way up here. And then after Mark, Kelly, uh, you're going to come up, and Kelly's going to share a really cool story of one of the members of the church as well through the tutoring program. So Mark. Good evening. Uh, first of all, what I'd like to do is say thank you to everybody here and to everybody who wasn't able to make it tonight. Everything that Christ Tribune Church does uh, to to advance the kingdom, the things like uh, that she just shared with us, which is so wonderful, all of that happens because of your generous giving. I think in many ways our church is blessed specifically because of the things that she said, that when the church was founded, they said, we want to do three basic core things. We want to start with the expository preaching. We want to stand on scripture. And then we want to take the people in our church, and we want to equip them, and then we want to send them. And that really is the core fundamental thing about uh, that the church does. That's when we talk about the DNA of Christ Community Church. That's what we're talking about. But it really comes down to the fact that the things that we do in ministry, the things that we do in missions, are because God puts it on, a burden on your heart to give from what he's given you, to be a good steward for those resources and to give them here. So in talking about the budget, what I would like to tell you is uh, I had an opportunity to sit in on some of the uh, budget meetings. And uh, one of the things that I think that you would be really, really happy to see is that if you were to sit in on the series of budget sessions, which you would come away with, I came away with two basic words. Number one was intentionality. That you have a group of people who are taking the money that you would give the church, and they look at every dollar and say, how can we best use this dollar in a way that is going to help our church know Christ and to help Christ be known in the community and in the world? So they're thinking about it, based on the fact that this isn't our money, we're stewarding this money now, and it is for God's greater glory. And then past that, it's just, there is just a spirit of unity within all the people, all the way down to the staff and the people that are going to spend the money, that is just very similar. When you give money and that money flows down to the college ministry or the children or whatever part, they look at those funds and say, this is a gift, and what we need to do is use this gift in a way that advances the kingdom and serves God's glory. So let me go ahead. Can you bring up the uh, budget? Now, 
One of the things around Christ community and the budget group is they've always taken a very conservative position. And there's, and that's served this church very, really well. Uh, just to put an example, about six or seven years ago, I don't know if you guys remember, there was kind of a downturn in the economy. Some things kind of fell off. This church never had any struggles, didn't have to have difficulties like other churches because the budget group at that time had taken that in consideration. We're very conservative. The church was protected. Well, even though giving has generally gone up year over year during the entire history of the church, this year what we looked at was the giving from last year was 914000 And the budget that we put in was uh, uh, based on actual expenses of 892000 So we created a budget that was 887000 So actually down below the actual giving that came in last year. So that the final budget is going to be $900,000. We just think that there is potentially some uncertainty out there, and we think the best position for the church to protect the church and to uh, move the money, uh, the ministries forward is to just take a conservative position. So uh, what I would tell you is that uh, you can all be very grateful and very thankful for the finance committee. Uh, Dee Dee's not here. She put in a tremendous amount of work. But all the members of the finance committee, all the members of the staff to put in the time to do that. If you wanted to see what that money kind of breaks down into, uh, if you give the next slide, this is kind of how the money is spent. Just general pie chart, just showing kind of where the money would go. Uh, the money is spent proportionally very similar to the way it was last year. Uh, if you have any specific questions, you can reach with me uh, after the, uh, the meeting. I'll be happy to answer them. Uh, thank you very much. Good evening, everybody. Again, my name is Kelly. I just got called Tony by Pastor Paul, so (laughs) um, my name is Kelly, and I am up here tonight to talk about um, a very special member of our congregation. We have a ton, and um, if you asked her, she would say that what she did is is nothing special, but we see it as something so much more. Um, And I think the verse that Davis started us with, with the picture of side-by-side, just summarizes how Leslie Owens looks at um, the way that she serves in every way in this church. But the example that I am going to share is um, about our tutoring program. So every Wednesday, um, our tutoring program is from 430 to 530, and um, we have tons of volunteers. Like, Ms. Sharon, how many volunteers do we have? Like, <laughs> like I mean, like 60 like 60 people, like 60 volunteers. That doesn't even count the the kids that come that we're actually tutoring, but 60 volunteers that come all the way from high school students to retired school teachers. So this is not a, a group for high school students to come and get community service hours or college students that have a flexible schedule. It's it's a, it's a ministry for our whole entire church. And so Leslie started coming, and she was put in a third-grade group four years ago now, three years ago now, and these now sixth grade girls were her third graders, and she invested her hour a week into them, just like everybody else, and then she just was like, okay, well, 
I'm just going to invite them over to my house. I'm just going to see if they want to come over and hang out with me. Or I'm going to do a Bible study with them over the summer. And, again, to her, it's making baked potatoes. That's what they did one night when they came over to her house was make baked potatoes. But in a second, I'm going to play an audio tape. And one of the girls talks about the night that she was invited over to Miss Leslie's house to make baked potatoes and how special that was for her. Um but before I get there, um, I just wanted to share. So the, these are Miss Leslie's girls. That's what they call themselves. They call themselves Miss Leslie's girls. And they are now in um, the youth program. So they've phased out of the tutoring program by age. So now they come downstairs, and Miss Leslie, in her faithfulness, has followed them downstairs. And so she now tutors them with our middle school program. And one time in small group, we were talking about people that were influential and um, Guadalupe, who is um, the sweet little girl with the Wisconsin red sweatshirt on, said that Miss Leslie was the person that meant the most to her. And her words were, Miss Leslie saved me. And then she giggled and said, well, no, Jesus saved me, but Miss Leslie really helped. Like, she she really helped him. And, and that's how she thought about it. Like, she realized, oh, okay, it was Jesus but it go, it initially points to Miss Leslie. And so that just kind of sparked this idea in me of, man, they, they think about her throughout the week. Miss Leslie thinks about them throughout the week. And so after Bridge that night, I was like, girls, let's, let's do something for Miss Leslie for Christmas. It was right around Christmas time. So we were spitting out ideas, and they wanted to make her a T-shirt. And I was like, okay, I don't know how to make a T-shirt. So I was like, okay, well, let's make her ornaments. So I picked them up from school one day, and we just painted ornaments that they're holding here with paint and I got them from the dollar store and they thought that it was the most special thing ever and so during that time together I took um, just a little voice recording of them talking about Miss Leslie so forgive my really loud obnoxious voice because I'm like singing over the phone um, but just listen to the things that they have to say about Miss Leslie Okay, so so I want you guys to all go around and say different things that you love about Miss Leslie or things that she's done that you're thankful for. So, Sadie, what did you say? How she can tolerate me when I'm being disrespectful. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> Who else? Uh, oh, I love the fact that that she's really nice, even though sometimes we have so much attitude towards her and it's not even her fault. And then she doesn't even get mad towards us and she tries her best to help us. Yeah. That's great. I like that um, when something goes wrong in our little circle of friends that we can go to her and she, like, seek guides. 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 Yeah. That's great. Oh, that's okay. It's fine. Tonta. What about you, Rose? What do you like about Miss Leslie? I like how you can, like, you can trust her and, like, everything. Yeah. Yes, honey. Yes, preach it. Sorry. <laughs> what about you, Elizabeth? Uh, she's really nice and funny. She always makes me tear up. And um, she's really nice. Yeah. I love her. Yeah. What about you, Guadalupe? I need a pencil to write. Like, right on. Oh, can I? She has me whenever I need her. I'm gonna take off my yeah. That's great. And Cindy, what do you like about Miss Leslie? Um. <laughs> yeah, she made it baked potatoes in the entire house. Um. Yeah. 
then she she spends her day with us and instead of doing work sometimes she hangs out with us yes so how sweet is that video it makes me tear up every time i listen to it and it's on my phone so i listen to it a lot um but that right there is just the goal. It's the We love our programmatic ministries, and they serve a purpose, but they're to be a springboard into relational ministries um, that go way beyond the hour-long tutoring program or the 90-minute bridge that we have. It's all about relationships. So, Miss Leslie, back there in the back, thank you so much for how well you love our girls and to all of our other tutors. When I was, um, when, when Zachary and Morgan were maybe five and seven, I think it was Morgan um, came home from school with, you know, Father's Day kind of painting. And so it had a picture, picture of me on the front that she drew. And underneath the picture, you know, it said, Daddy, I love you. You are the best. But it was, Daddy, I love you. You are the B-E-A-S-T. <laughs> so I was the beast. Uh, and so I didn't try, I tried not to take that personally. I didn't realize she didn't know how to spell yet. Um, but my hope is that when we finish here, you won't think I'm the beast. You'll think I'm the best. Um, <laughs> Because we're, we're trying, and, and you all see it, we're trying to hear what God wants us to do, and then we're trying to go in that direction. And so as I talk today, that's, a lot of this is stuff that, that we've talked about as uh, a staff or elders or different people even in this room, and that we're just trying to say, God, we, we want your vision. We don't want to create a vision and you just stamp it. We want to know what you want us to do. So I'm going to talk about that for several minutes tonight, and then if you have a question, we'll try to answer that tonight that maybe everybody would have. And uh, then, of course, you could see me or any of the elders or the staff afterwards as well. When I think about the definition of the word vision, I would say it's a preferred future. So you look out ahead and you say, I see my future, and I would prefer to be in a particular place. So you decide to get an education or you, you whatever you want to do. And it, you look ahead and you say, what could be done or what should be done? And quite frequently, frequently what happens when you get a vision, it comes out of a, a, some kind of discontent. You see something that's happening and you say, I've, I've got to get involved with that. I've got to make something happen. And what I would say it's called, what I call this is, it's a holy discontent. And you, you look at a situation and you say something like this in your mind, we can't stay here. We just can't stay here. So if the vision is big enough and the holy discontent is strong enough, then you decide you're going to get involved with something. And you, you all have a lot of little, I would say little holy discontents where you say, that's terrible. I wish something would happen, but you go to bed and, and you just kind of move on. But something, the way you're wired, something happens and you say, it just got, it got stuck. And I've got to now be a part of the solution. And so this holy discontent gets you engaged. And when you have a, a great vision, people will make sacrifices for a great vision. 
people might even lay down their life for a great vision. And, of course, we know that could be the storyline of the Bible, God's execution of his great vision. That could be the, the subtitle of the Bible. God sees the devastation in humanity and all of creation, and he says, we, we can't stay here. Something has to happen, and it gets stuck in the heart of God in a way that he says, I've got to get engaged. I've got to do something about this because I just can't allow creation and my people to stay here. And, of course, he makes a great sacrifice for that to happen. And if the vision's big enough, you, you would give your life for a vision like that. And, of course, that's what the gospel is about. God has a great vision, and it's so powerful to him, he's willing to sacrifice himself, his son, on the cross for the fulfillment of that vision. And in God's economy, and I don't understand why he decided to design it this way, he has decided that he would like to have partnerships with us to fulfill part of his vision. He could do it all, all himself. He doesn't need another person to help him out. But he's decided in some way, I would like Leslie Owens to feel the joy of giving her life away, to make a great sacrifice, and then hear somebody say, she saved me. Well, I mean, Jesus did it, but, I mean, she was a big part in it. And it's incredible that God would invite us in in a way that, People would say, you made a huge difference. Yes, I know what Jesus did, and you didn't die on the cross for me, but there's something that you got involved with that really changed who I was, and thank you for doing that. And so we get a chance to, to form partnerships with God, and they meld into this great, big, epic story that he's unfolding. I would say 16 years ago, a small group of people were experiencing a holy discontent. In, in 2002, uh, several people just basically said there's not enough churches in Wilmington that really preach and live out of the Bible. It wasn't any more complicated than that. And we weren't saying nobody's doing it, but we just said there weren't enough of these churches in town. And there weren't enough churches you could go to, and many of you have experienced this, where, where there weren't enough churches where you open your Bible you read from the Bible, you're instructed by the Bible, you learn how to live because of the transforming power of the Bible. And that's why Sam Husky was up here. She said that's the, the people wanted to see this, and we got the Word of God, so we got the people of God and the Word of God moving together, and that was our vision. And so in 2002, there were a group of people that we believed that were dying for living water. In a city with a lot of churches, there were still a lot of people dying for living water. And so a small group of people decided, we can't stay here. We can't just not do anything. We've got to do something. We've got to get engaged. And they got engaged, and they made great sacrifices. And many of you all are part of that sacrifice. You've made a great sacrifice in some way to get us to where we are today. And I want to say thank you. For that, if in 2002 you could have asked somebody in this small group, what do you hope Christ Community Church is going to look like in 16 years, in 2018? I think I would have said, and I believe a lot of others in that group would have said, well, 
something like this. It kind of looks like, I mean, you know, if we could have just said it's going to be this, we would have said, yeah, that's awesome. We'd love for Christ Community Church to be that way in 16 years. And, of course, we're not perfect and we're not complete, but we casted a vision in 2002 and we have arrived at that point. And that's really worth celebrating. We're not here to celebrate tonight, but it's exciting to cast a vision, but it's much more satisfying to see a vision complete. Lots of people can cast a vision for themselves or their family or their career. That's not actually that difficult. But doing the work to get to the completion of the vision, that takes a lot of work. That takes a lot of sacrifice. So we could just stop today and say, that's awesome. That's awesome that we actually had this vision in 2002 that we felt like was God-ordained. It was a divine vision, and it's happened. We're, we're celebrating what's happened. But in the last six months or so, I've been thinking about this, and I've been wrestling with this question in my own soul and then with others. So now what? I mean, we have gotten to a point that we would say, this is... This is great. This is what we wanted. And so my question is, is just, what would Christ Community Church 2.0 be? I mean, if 1.0 was the first 16 years and we set this foundation, then what would Christ Community Church 2.0 be? Or what would Christ Community Church look like in 10 years? If you said, hey, let's ask you all today, what would you like Christ Community Church to look like in 2027? What would we say? Are there additional ways God wants to use us to partner with him to bring about a preferred future in 10 years? And so as we thought about that, there we kind of created this visual that might be helpful for you. We thought about, hey, if... if Christ Community Church 1.0 is the first 16 years, and we were going to put another floor on this building, and we were just going to call it Christ Community Church 2.0. What would we want Christ Community Church 2.0 to be? What would we want it to look like? So those are the questions that's, that are rolling around in my mind, in our minds, and I've had a chance to discuss this with a number of people. And before I take a look at these columns, I want to... I want to address a concern and a question, because these are the things that I get quite a bit. First of all, uh, a concern, and it comes out this some way in this way. Paul, I realize we're growing and decisions have to be made, but I'm concerned that in an effort to build Christ Community Church 2.0, we might lose Christ Community Church 1.0. You feel that? In an effort to see where God would, would move us, it's possible that we'd actually have lost the vision of the first. And, and I'm worried about that. I'm concerned about that. I, I feel that concern. And part of my answer would be this. In Exodus 33, you might remember this. God was frustrated with the people. And he comes to Moses and he says to Moses, it's time for you to leave Mount Sinai, and you, you and all the people that I brought out of Egypt, you're going to go to the land that I promised. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to send an angel before you to drive out your enemies, and this land is flowing with milk and honey. 
And if I were Moses, I'd be like, this is pretty awesome. I mean, we're going to go get the land. It's going to be flowing with milk and honey. And you're going to send an angel that's going to drive out our enemies. What else would we need? But, God says, I'm not going to go with you. And Moses very wisely said, hey, if you don't go with us, we're not going to go. And I want you to hear me say, if God doesn't go with us to 2.0, we're not going to go to 2.0. It's not worth it. If we had every program and things other churches said, wow, look at what they're doing, but we don't have the Lord, then we don't have anything. So the people that are in the leadership structure are very willing to scale all the way back to, we read the Bible on Sundays, I sing holy, 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 and we call it a day. Now, nobody actually wants to go back that far, but you, I want you to hear our heart. That doesn't, uh, that doesn't make us afraid. What would make us afraid is if we lost the Bible. In an effort to do wonderful things, like enter a land flowing with milk and honey, like having angels go before us, but if we've lost the Lord, if he says, but I'm not in that journey, Paul, then we're all saying, but then we're not in that journey. So I hear the concern. I am concerned about it, but I believe that we have the leadership in place with their, their mentality to say, we're not going to go that way, or we're certainly not going to go that way very easily. The second thing I would just say about that is we're trying to build a floor on top of a foundation. And this is really, really important. What we're going to do next, we think, is growing out of the foundation of 1.0. We're not going to go do another foundation. We're saying, hey, if you get a group of people together who love the Bible and then are transformed by the Bible and go out into the city, you have another floor. It just grows up from that floor. It's not something we're dreaming up. It's something that's actually growing up. And so I want to make sure that we understand that what we're doing next is a, a result of what we've done, not a replacement of what we've done. We think that when Leslie Owens gets moved by the power of the gospel and she comes into six girls' lives, what grows out of that is what we're going to see in Christ Community Church 2.0. It's just a natural outgrowth of what we're committed to. So that's addressing one concern. Addressing one question, I hear this, and maybe I feel this pretty strongly myself. Yeah, I don't really like change. That's that, you know, if you cut me open, you'd find that somewhere in there. I mean, I like, didn't you like this morning? One service, everybody here, a lot of loud singing. I like that. Let's go to two services. Oh, gosh. You know what? I don't like change. I mean, I, I like the way things are right now, and we all get used to that because you come in and sit in the same place and you have that. That's, I think that's fine. But when you ever introduce any kind of change, then, then you have it in, in a lot of people have it in their soul to say, I just don't like change. And my answer to that really for myself, but maybe for you, is we just can't stay here. And let me list you several reasons why I think we can't stay here. Number one, the parable of the talents from Matthew 25. God has handed out these talents, you remember, and he expects them to be in play. And we, we have been given an enormous amount of talent at Christ Community Church. It's, I, I mean, I know you appreciate it, but 
I was really sitting there thinking about Sam Husky, thinking, wow, she's a senior in college. She is so articulate. She's so on. I like when she said Christ Community Church has these two things. I was thinking, I hope it's the word of God and the people of God. <laughs> right? I hadn't cleared it. It's like, these are the two things. I hope she's about ready. Well, what did she say? The word of God and the people of God. And I thought, here she, she's just on the edge of all of her potential in, in growing up and giving herself away that she's doing right now. But there's so much more that can be done. With these girls that were in this picture, if, if Leslie stays with them for the six or seven more years, they're going to be college girls, and they're going to have all kinds of things that they want to learn and grow and do. And we've been given so many people and also so much money that we can't just say, we got to this point, and then we kind of buried the rest of it. We, we, we can't stay here, and that's one of the reasons. We, we can't stay here because the church is a, a living organism. It's not something static. And if a living organism doesn't move, it doesn't exercise, it doesn't stretch, then it just atrophies. So no matter what we do, we can't stay here. Because if we stay here, it might be good for a season, but pretty quickly, if you stay in your bed too long, it doesn't take long for a body to start breaking down. So, so we can't stay here. We can't stay here. I, I looked at this slide you might have seen it. It was the beginning of uh, the new year for the Wilmington Star News. And um, on it's the Star News 150-year anniversary of the Star News. So they had this picture of Wilmington, which I think is such a great picture. And they asked, this was on the front page, I think of the first week or so of the, of the newspaper this year. And they had the question, what would Wilmington look like in 150 years? When, you know, like when the Star News began, this is now 150 years later. And it, w- it was just sort of projections by the mayor and different people that you would know. And, and one, one, almost everybody said, well over a million people in this area. And I thought, wow. Well, then I thought, well, lots of those millions are moving in right now. I mean, you feel it, do you not? Just driving around, you're like, where are all these people going to go come from? I mean, there's 300 and some units right here. I just heard they were 98% full. So lots of people are coming, and you see it just in our little piece of geography that so many people are coming that, that we, can't, we just can't stay here. We can't say this is all. Last thing I would say about this is in our culture and in our community, there's a tremendous amount of need. And when I, need, I say that, I, I think about worldview, about morality, about justice, about race, about poverty. It feels more chaotic to me personally in our culture than it used to. It feels more tense, more uncertain. And we are either going to insert ourselves into those discussions or we're going to let politicians and educators do it. Those are the only options. And I believe with every fiber in my being that God's plan for the hope of the world is the local church. That's his plan. He could have dreamed up anything he wanted, but he decided, hey, I want to establish little outposts all over the globe rather than everybody coming to Israel. 
And I, I'm going to say the hope of this city, like Corinth, is one man coming there, preaching the gospel and establishing the church. And from that, it can begin to have an effect on that city. And so the local church is the hope of the world. And so we have all these problems in our culture. You feel the tension yourself. And you don't want Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. You don't want the Republicans or the Democrats being the truth teller on all of these things, do you? No. No. You don't want the professor at UNCW to be that person. You want the word of God to do that. It's got to be delivered in some way. And the delivery system is the local church. It's not the radio, as, long as, I, as much as I like the radio. It's not your podcast, as much as I like the podcast. It's the local church. That, that's God's plan. So we can't stay here. We just can't stay here. So I love Wilmington. I'm going to die, Lord willing, in Wilmington. Not hopefully anytime soon. <laughs> My grandchildren, I hope, are going to live in Wilmington. And when I look around at Wilmington and think about my grandson or my great-grandson living in Wilmington, I think we can't stay here. Because if we don't get involved, I don't know what the city, other than the people, it might be more chaotic in 100 years than it is now, and I, and I wouldn't even recognize it. I bet my parents wouldn't recognize where we are now as a culture. So, so we can't stay here. So we're asking ourselves, so what's the next question and part of my answer is it's still in process we're still trying to figure this out it's not like here's the game plan and now i'm just showing it to you we're we're creating this game plan and trying to move forward and we'll spend the next six months or so thinking about it but the way we started thinking about this is well what are the values that are on next slide matt uh, that we want to put at on the second floor what are things that we say hey we think this is going to happen or we want to see this happen and the first thing is we want to hang on to Christ Community Church 1.0. And we already talked about that. But the way we see Christ Community Church in the next 10 years and sooner than that is we want to grow. We, it's not we're just going to allow growth. We want to grow because we feel like the church should have a bigger imp, imprint and an impact. So we expect to grow in numbers we don't have any hard numbers that we're like saying we're shooting for this number in 10 years because the Lord really grows his church. But just to plant something in your mind is we definitely think we could double in size. So just to give you a sense of how we're moving forward, and maybe over that time we're going to be planting a church or two. Today you can sense the pressure because our con- our, uh, there's 400 seats in here now. And I think there were 415 people here last week. So 40 in the lobby. And there were 370 here this week. So, you know, we're at 95 or 105% full. So some, something has to give in that way. We, we want greater diversity. And when we say that, we mean racially, economically, and culturally. We want expanded uh, discipleship and leadership. So, so many people come into the church and they really just don't know anything about the Bible. I mean, they grew up in the South and maybe they know some stories or maybe they just didn't grow up around like Sam, just didn't grow up in a place where I knew. And I just need somebody to say, here's a Bible and then can you read it with me? And so we feel like there's going to be expanded need for that. And with that need is we need more Sam Huskies. We need more uh, people like you. 
to say, hey, I'll come alongside these people and I'll tell them how to read the Bible. So we have to grow in our, our leadership. I would say a couple, well, just one thing about that. Well, I'll come back to that. We want to expand our physical footprint and our influence footprint. And our physical footprint is we have eight acres of land here, and we feel like in 10 years we'll have more buildings on this land. Now, what's the next one and when it's going to come and how much is it going to cost? Those are things that we're still trying to work through, but we definitely think that's going to be a part of our future. So that's the physical footprint, and we want an expanded footprint in the community. So, And these are things that are already happening, but you can see them like UNCW. We just want an expanded footprint on that. And I'm so proud of the college students that come here. I really can't tell you how impressive it is that you guys get up and you come to this Sunday school class, you come here, and you bring your friends. It's not just you come. You you come with a – and you're a big part of what we do. You're not just a ministry that we go do something for. You, you've come into the church. And in their last inquirers class, we had a mom of two girls, two girls maybe, three, and she said, I'm, just, I'm thankful for you guys that you're just there because my – my middle school and high school girls just go, yeah, yeah, I want to know them. I want to be like them. So just being here is so helpful. And so a bigger footprint. And so one conversation that I've had with Sharon that may, may go somewhere or may not, but she's an educator. And we have all kinds of educational opportunities just in the tutoring program alone. And she could try to develop a partnership with UNCW and their education program and say, hey, can you funnel people over here and we'll get them some training that will help them. So we're just trying to figure out what's, what's a way to expand that. What's a way to expand what we're doing in terms of our community? So something like the Michael Kruger event. How many came to that, the Michael Kruger event? So just saying, hey, we understand the Bible is under attack. We want to bring in an expert about that. We might do something with uh, sexuality in our culture. We might do something with politics and religion. All these kinds of things that would serve us but also serve the community. And to say, hey, Christ Community Church brings people in that I can go learn, even if I'm not a member of that church, and be educated in some way. We think about this pastors group that I'm involved with, three white pastors and three black pastors, and just what we're trying to do there. So uh, the Wednesday before the Isaiah Festival weekend, we're doing a main stage event downtown. And so we're trying to get people together and trying to do something there and just trying to say, hey, we're trying to represent something out bigger than our individual churches in the community. And so there's all kinds of things that go with that. And when you have all that growth, you've got to have greater organizational structure. So let's go back to this picture in the columns now. And if you just said, okay, here's where we are. Here's where we want to go. But, but in order to get there, we've got to build these columns or we've got to build these roads and start building, start moving in those directions. And that's what we're thinking about. What are those? And, and there may be, just from this talk here, you may say, hey, I think there's another column you can add in that. And that's fine. That's why we're showing you this. And we're trying to think through, okay, what needs to happen here? And I think it's just helpful just to sit and think, what is Christ Community Church 2.0 going to cost 
Because if you have a vision for something and it's big enough and it's divine, then it costs something. Time, it costs energy, it costs tears, it costs money, it costs all kinds of things. And I, I have a picture of what it might look like in 2017, but I know that's going to cost me as a leader. It's cost me a lot to get to where we are right now. And to get to the next level with some of these things, I'm going to have to expand my leadership capacity. I couldn't stay where I am today without expanding my leadership capacity to get to where we are in 10 years. This is not possible. But it's not just me. As David said, we're all, we're all walking alongside. It's just not me having to expand myself. It's you having to expand you having to change, you having to grow in your own sanctification or grow in your sacrifices. So we're, we've got some things going on in this plan, and I want to just give you a few of them, and then we'll stop, and you'll have a chance to ask a question. Uh, number one, most of you know we've had a series of meetings about trying to get a bigger sanctuary space. How many came to a meeting that was about that? Okay, so quite a few. So the first thing we thought about, and I think you got a letter from it, was we were going to knock down this wall right here, and we're going to basically push it to the sidewalk. And that was going to expand this number, 400, to about 700. Uh, But it just, after several discussions, not worth talking about now, everyone agreed that just wasn't worth the ticket price. Because then you had to expand the lobby and all these other kinds of things. So then we thought... Well, maybe we should just go ahead and build another building, a sanctuary, on the grass field right outside those double doors. That was the original plan. And although it looked good, it it became a $2 million project pretty quickly. And we just were like, I don't don't think we're in for the $2 million project right now. If you knock down this wall and it costs you $700,000, then maybe. But $2 million, that just seemed like too much. So we backed up and said, okay. We're not ready to build today. We're, we're not ready to do that today. Uh, so we figured out that's not the right time. Second thing that's coupled with that is a month from now, we'll have a meeting with the staff and elders and a few other folks, and we'll talk about, so, okay, so what, can, what do you need to do? If you decided that's not going to be it, then what is it going to be? And so in February, we'll have a meeting with about 25 people, and we'll start talking about going to a second service. What would that look like? What would that mean? What's the best pattern for that? What would it mean for our parking? If you came in late in any of the last couple of Sundays, you know that you've got to drive way off into the woods somewhere, or you've got to park way off into the neighborhood. And so one thing we're thinking about, going to two services and also cutting down some trees here and leveling out a place that you could uh, not quite a parking lot, be a big grass field, but something you could park on that's different than what's out there right now. And so those are just the things that we're trying to think about. And today we're thinking we're going to start two services in the fall. So whenever we have sort of our kickoff in late August usually, that would be when we'd say we go to two services. Now, some people would say, I don't know if you can last all the way to the fall, you know. And the answer is maybe we can't. You know, that's part of... If we get a month from now and say we can't wait another eight months, then we'll all, you know, regroup and say let's try to do something sooner. But just to give you an idea, we're looking at that. Our 
current goal is to be able to wait to the fall and in that meantime to think about how we're going to uh, do our parking. Uh, last week, about 20 or 25 people got together and had a long conversation about diversity. Now, this is probably the hardest thing to talk about because everybody here is mostly the same. So you're trying to say, well, you, you can see some diversity already happening in the church, but what, a, what adjustments does the majority culture need to make in some way? And you know there are adjustments that need to be made, but honestly, it's just easier to say everybody's welcome as long as they just do what we do. But you know that's not, I hope you're knowing that's not good, right? That's not good. Think about the distance Jesus had to travel, the cultural shifts he had to make. See, that getting the gospel in your head right Helps you make those adjustments. Think about how, how many changes he had to make. Think about how frustrating he must have been with the disciples sometimes. Like, you've got to be kidding me. But, but he limits himself in many ways so he can be available. And so there are shifts and changes in that. Some we know about, some we'll figure it out as we go along. Uh, the organizational structure... One thing that we're working on now is a better organization. And so all of you are aware that we have hired Louisa Belk. Yay. Now, this isn't actually a change to our budget because uh, John Vincent, Didi's uh, husband, was doing the accounting. And now we're just bringing that accounting out of his office back into Christ Community Church. And so she's coming in to be the accounting, not, not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow. So she'll be here full time. And trust me, all the staff cannot wait. And then additionally with that, we're, we, I've had a long conversation with Mark DeCosimaker, who's been an elder here for a number of years. He's also uh, getting his uh, master's degree from RTS currently. And we've been talking about where, what's the next role? What's Mark DeCosimaker 2.0? And Mark DeCosimaker 2.0 is he's going to start out about 10 hours a week doing be, becoming the executive pastor of Christ Community Church, which, again, we're very, very excited about. And the, the reason I'm so excited about, I'm excited about all these things, but the reason I'm excited about that is I hope that gives you a vision for things that you could do. You might be somebody who just hands a college girl a Bible and says, can we look at it together? You might be Leslie Owen who says, I'm just going to tutor for one hour a week. And then as I pray about these people, they get in my heart and soul and I start doing stuff. You might have a gift set like Mark and say, hey, I could give a certain amount of time. And I see some things that are going on in the church that I could help out that are more administrative. And so the executive pastor basically is kind of a shield around the pastor to say there's lots of executive decisions that you have to make as a pastor, and there's simply more than I can make. There's, there's just too, too many things to decide. And so you bring somebody in to say, hey, I'm going to take some of that weight off of what you're doing so you can continue to preach. You can continue to cast vision. You can continue to help people in their walk towards Jesus. So those are things that are happening. There's one more thing I just want to let you know. In our organizational structure, 
There, there needs to be greater flow of communication, greater assimilation of people, uh, greater you know, understanding of how to get into Christ Community Church and how to sort of navigate. And so Lizzie Cooper and Sam Kennedy are on the point of that right now. So they're, they're thinking about the whole thing. Do we have the right signs? Is the lobby the right way? Do we need another place that is a welcome? Do we have the right child check-in? If we do, build the parking lot over here, how does that change the flow? Are, are people getting the information they need either by website or emails? All that stuff as you grow, has to get more specific. And so when we started with 50 people on a Sunday, we could just say, hey, everybody, this is what's happening. But it doesn't work that way anymore. It's not possible to work that way. And so they're on the point to say, how can we make all this flow better so that whether it's the visitor that comes in and has a better uh, you know, visit to Christ Community Church or it's a member saying, I, I need to know how to get involved, whatever that is, that you know how to navigate that system. So I'm going to stop there, and then I'm going to uh, let you ask a question or two if you have one. But I want to uh, just end by remembering together Acts chapter 16. And I love this little passage because Paul and Silas and Timothy are all in Asia, which is now called Turkey. Nobody knows the gospel, right? So it doesn't matter what town you go to, they're all, they all need the gospel. And it says they constantly are trying to get in a couple of different places. And, and it weirdly, it's like, and the spirit of Jesus doesn't let them get into that place. And you think, why? I mean, like, why? It's not like too many churches there or anything. And in that effort, remember, Paul has a vision, vision from the man from Macedonia. Come over here and help us. So the gospel moves out of Asia into Europe. Now, Paul and Silas would have never thought about doing that on their own, and they may never have arrived there if they hadn't charted some course forward that God could say, okay, now that you're moving forward, I'm ready for you to move in a different direction. So we're charting a course. But somewhere along the way, if God says, hey, you know what, there's something else you couldn't see until then, you couldn't do until you were moving forward, and here it is, you could come back to next year's vision banquet, and we'd say, we had an Acts 16 moment. Now, whether we do or not, I don't know, but I'm just telling you, we're open because we don't want to go where God's not going to go with us. We just don't want to do that. You don't want to do that as a Christian. You're like, God, please help me. Where I'll go wherever you go, but where do you want me to go? And we're having that same wrestling match, but we believe God wants us to move out in some direction, and then he may say, that's it. Or you may say, that's a lot of it, but I've got this other column I'm going to build on. You just don't know it now, Paul. And I'll be like, Please, mercy, have mercy. Make it an easy column. That's what I would pray for. All right, so we're going to end in a time of prayer, but we're going to have five minutes or so. You might Something here might have sparked a question or a thought that I could help answer or Mark could or anybody else in some way. Don't be shy. Anyone? Anyone? Yes, Holt Evans.
Well, great question. So what happens is in a year that you have surplus from what you spent, you know, we decide, well, how do we want to spend this money? And there's a couple of things that we're thinking about right now. The, the parking lot, the gra- I want to just call it a grass field, but we're going to park on the grass field, all right? And, and it's going to be like this out here, but it's going to be down in that area. That costs about $50,000. So that overage, we're saying, hey, if we want to do, you know, the parking lot, we might take that overage towards there. Uh, there's a couple other items that we're saying, if we didn't do that, we might do this. We did pay down the debt last year, twenty or thirty thousand dollars. I can't remember what the number was, and we also try to keep a three or four month surplus in our budget. Uh, so as our budget grows, that the number you got to keep is bigger. And so I think currently, uh, and one of the deacons could could remember better than I do, but I think we're going to try to keep about two hundred eighty five thousand dollars in our checking account. That's like a, a an emergency fund. You know, if all the wheels roll off. You're not having to, you know, fire everybody and close the doors, um, and let's hope that doesn't happen. But so we, we're keeping that money, and then we're looking. We probably have about fifty thousand dollars to decide: Would we rather it go to the debt? Would we rather it go to the field? Would we rather it to go somebody else, someplace else? Those decisions are being made like in the next two or three weeks. Good question. Yes, Mark. <laughs> yes. We feel that, um, and there's two things. One, we might go sooner. So as we have these m- meetings like the one we're going to have next month, we can't just do it next week. It's just too much systematic change. But next month, as we have this meeting, we might say, hey, let's get a plan in place before then, and maybe we do it until June 1st. You know, I don't, I don't know. Um, and then the other thing is, well, if you're going to have constant overflow, then it needs to be more systematized. So you might be getting a phone call saying, hey, would you be willing to stay in the lobby until 1040 or something? You know, and, and if there's space, you'll come in with everybody. If there's not, then you'll, and instead of the guests, you know, sitting out there, you would sit out there, and it, at least to be more systematized on that end. Um, but we had we had some tight Sundays early in the fall, if you remember. We actually had a couple that were overflow in the lobby, and then it kind of shrunk down to sort of a manageable thing. But I think we've just hit a ceiling that we're just going to keep bumping up against. And at, at some point, we have to go to two services if we want to break that ceiling, and it might be sooner. Might be sooner. Yes, Ferguson. It's a great question, and we had a two-hour discussion that was somewhat about that, and. Um, We just came out with categories that we need to think through rather than conclusions that we needed to definitely put in place. But, for instance, one category would just be music because a different culture has a different style of music. So what would we what what space margin would could we give to that without it being too great? Uh, But it can't be we just do the exact same thing that we're doing. Another thing would be economically. 
some people that come in have more economic needs. And so you have to say, well, if you have a lot of single moms, what kind of ministry might you build because you have more single moms than maybe we do right now? Or you have more benevolence needs. They were a little bit more like what are the areas that we're going to need to address rather than here's the five-point things that we're going to build in today. And as we, we're trying to do it a little bit more organically rather than let's just do a blast out to the city in an advertisement way. We're just saying, hey, we're out in Greenfield Village. We're out at Royal Palms. They're coming to us. And as we grow, as they kind of grow with us, we're growing with them rather than, hey, this Sunday is the Sunday we're launching some brand new thing. It'll be a little bit more incremental because we have to make some changes and we don't want to. We don't want to turn the ship too quickly. People might fly off the deck. So we're trying to move. And, of course, we're not going to do a 180. So there's some place that we'd say that's about as far as we can go in some form or another. Does that help? Good. That's great. Jesse? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, the way we've thought about this, and again, a lot of these things are not in concrete, you know, or the concrete's wet, but the way we think about it is sometimes, and you might have been in a church involved with it, that Part of their vision is we plant churches, you know, and that's just the first thing you hear when you come is we're a church planting church. And they're always sort of strategically looking for that. And I would say our position, and when I say this, our meaning the elders, is we think it will be more organic. So we think we'll grow and then we'll say there's just enough people here now from Leland or Ogden or some area not right around here that we've built some small groups geographically and say, hey, how about now is the time for you all to start these three small groups joined together to become a, a new church? But instead of saying we're going to do that in 2020 and 2024 and 2020, you know, we, we've just been more like as we grow, generally we're not thinking of being a mega church or anything. Not, I'm not saying we could even get there, but, you know, I think we think about the 700 or 800 range and what that would mean on this campus and somewhere in there saying let's take 50 or 75 people that we get identified and say how can we help you launch a church in another part of the city thank you somebody else had a question yes ken Yeah, we, we what we did was when we started thinking about blowing out this wall and it being a seven or eight hundred thousand dollar project, that seemed like a doable number for a campaign. But when we got to two or more million, that just felt like it was too big. And we haven't 
targeted trying to just have a capital campaign just to reduce the debt. We could, and that could be on the, the docket somewhere in the future. We've been more thinking is if we got to a point we're going to build another building, we would make the capital campaign about reducing that debt and, and you know, paying off this building. We don't really want to go over the ceiling we are right now generally, so we're not trying to add new debt. Um, and if you talk to the people who are in the business of church finances, because I've talked to these guys, they just say, hey, I've looked at your finances and all that stuff, and you could probably raise $1.5 to $2 million in a three-year com- campaign. That's, you know, that's just a professional looking in and saying this is what I think you could do. So I think we have that little number in our head, but we feel like if that's what we can do with 400, maybe we need to get to 600 before we tackle, you know, the next thing uh, in that regard. Good question. Yes. What a great question. Just what we're going to talk about when we have this column meeting about what's next. And obviously, you know, we're thinking, well, would we build a bigger sanctuary, you know, and everybody would go in there and this this would transition into something. And it might be kid space or it might be offices or it might whatever seems reasonable at that time. And that's part of the thing. If we built a two million dollar building there that was mostly sanctuary and a few office rooms take two or three hundred thousand dollars to transition in this space into something other than a big room and so we're like whoa you know that adds to the bottom line and really those that's a great question that's just gonna that we're just on the front edge of if if we decided to do something how would this affect every ministry so if we said we're going to make this kid space well then what are you going to do with the kid space upstairs you know what i'm saying it's like a series of dominoes i think the general Generally, right now, we think about the next building being a sanctuary that would be bigger than this building. But it's possible as we go along, it feels like it's, there's a need for more classroom space, or I don't, you know, I'm not quite sure about that. Right, it could be that. It could be a fellowship hall. Those are great. Those are all the questions we're thinking about right now. So if you have some thoughts about that, you know. See Mark DeCosmaker, my executive pastor, and he would field all those questions for you. Jane Ann. Yeah, that's a great question because we're not trying to just go for diversity. We're, we believe that God's planted churches geographically, and they should, as best they can, represent the geography around them. So if they're in a mostly homogeneous culture, then they can't get to diversity. But if you look at where we are, there's all kinds of diversity around here, especially Hispanic and, and African American. And so as we look around and say, well, what should this church be doing for sort of the circle, I mean, three or five miles, whatever, however big you want to say it, and what are the current needs, you know, that, that feel more urgent than others? And so those needs have led us to these populations that don't have a lot of spiritual input, do have a lot of needs, and they are diverse. They're not, they're not poor whites or, you know, something else that would be more like, well, they, they're all in the same. 
with it, even with the royal palms, we have the issue of language. So we've got the kids come in and they can they can they want to know it, but the parents and one great couple. I don't know if you've seen this couple. They sit back here every Sunday. They can't understand English, but they're committed to the church. They're committed for their kids to know Jesus, and so they just kind of suffer through wonderful sermons that they don't get a chance to really digest. But even that, we're thinking. Well, is there a way we can get the earpiece and the translator? You know, all those things that we're trying to make adjustments because we think more people might come if they could understand it. Uh, so that's the thing that we're thinking through. Yes, Shane. Uh, do you have an idea of what might be some other teachers' That's a great question, and that's a column that we're going to address that has sort of a budgeting, you know, column. It's a little hard to say because we kind of we kind of look around generally and say who do we see, you know, and then I mean most of the staff are people that were coming to Christ Community Church and we say hey we've seen this person grow up and that tends to be it, um, but there's several different ways it could go. Like we've chased down a couple of guys that could be Hispanic pastors. It just hasn't worked out. But if one of them had kind of come around, we might have had that. Uh, if we try to chase down some other kind of diversity, we've got to find people that fit with our theological structure, which is not simple, um, especially in a diverse community. Um, and so we're, we kind of have our eyes open for it, but it's not like we're, we're hunting, if that makes sense. We're just being available. And it's possible that even people in our, that community grow up and they you know, take leadership positions. It would just take a little bit longer. And then, of course, there's always just the organizational. We're, we're really thin on administration. So we have uh, seven ministers and three admin people, two of which we just added. So poor Sarah, it's been nine and one. And she's done all the admin. Way to go, Sarah. So, that, you know, it could, be, it could be, hey, we just... All this structure has led us to need to need somebody who does IT and website and podcast and you know you could blow that whole thing up into a, to a um, to a ministry that we don't currently have other than you you know point and click on the website but if somebody had the skill they could come in and make that a whole ministry so there uh, there are options I wouldn't say there's one thing that feels like the thing I think we're just all standing there going God you move and we'll try to move in that direction last question. Anyone? Okay. Thank you. It's really a great, it's really, we're on a great ride right here. But I would say the last six years, we've been on a pretty smooth pond. And I would just say we're going to hit some white water. But, you know, when you're, when you're rafting, you want white water, right? You want, like, this is awesome. Unless you get tossed over, it's not so awesome. But it's safer to stay on the pond. It really is. And I have a heart that loves safety. So I, I might have to change the most to get into the white water. But I think that's where you really see God move and grow you and also grow the gospel in ways that are immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. If you stay on the pond, you don't see it. So I think we all want to get in that stream, and we think it's the stream God's building for us to get in. We don't think we're just trying to create it. We think he's saying, 
hey, Christ community, let's get in this string. There's lots of things to do. I've positioned you in a location geographically. I've positioned you with people geographically. I've positioned you with money geographically. Please don't bury that. Please do not bury that. Use it for my glory. All right, so Sam's going to end us with a, a time of prayer. Thank you, Sam. I have the easiest job. This is great. We've talked about so many different things this evening, and uh, we thought it would be appropriate just to take a moment and speak to the Lord about them together. So the way we're thinking about this time is if the Lord's put something on your heart, something that has captured your heart or um, captured your mind or your passion, I mean, we we would love for your prayers for the staff elders and deacons as we have all of these meetings uh, for vision, for direction, um, for him to sustain us uh, as we go, for him to uh, not leave us, for his spirit to not, um, and to give us sensitivity to his spirit as we go so we don't take a step that's not um, undergirded by God's word and empowered by his spirit. Um, let's just take a moment and, um, just as you feel led, uh, if you want to pray, we're just going to kind of popcorn pray. And my only suggestion is since there's a lot of us in this room, we're kind of spread out, just pray with volume, kind of looking up if you can, and then we'll all be able to hear you and we'll just agree with you. And then I'll, I'll close us, um, at the end. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, um, We're so grateful that you um, didn't leave us where we were. But that you came and that, uh, Lord, you have a plan for us individually. You have a plan for this uh, fallen world that you're redeeming it. You're restoring it. You have a a plan for us, for your people to prosper us, not to harm us. Lord, to uh, bring us into your kingdom one day through all the tribulations and trials of this world that you have appointed and that you promise never to leave us or forsake us. Lord, hear our prayers. Heavenly Father, you have established your church. You have promised that the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. And Lord, you have grafted us in and made us members of the body of Christ. What a privilege, what an honor, what grace. Lord, we lift up uh, these prayers, these thoughts, these plans. We pray along with the psalmist in Psalm ninety seventeen. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Lord, would you show us how to work? But may it not be us working, would it be your spirit working in us and through us to do your will, to do your good pleasure. Father, would you bring the increase? Lord, would you show us how to be wise with these uh, people and these resources and this place that you've given us? And Lord, would you, would you expand your kingdom? Father, would you bring the increase? Uh, we are in uh, dire need of you. We are, we are utterly incapable of accomplishing what you have called us to do if you do not work in us. Would you do it, Father? Um, we, we beg, we ask, 
confidently, boldly, in the name of our priest, our king, our Lord, our elder brother, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.